Hello, welcome to the podcast. We're back once again to finish our adventure with Indiana Jones, the old man who won't let it go. An 80-year-old man fighting the Nazis, and here to talk about it is Calvin Dyson. <laughs> Hello. Saul Harris. Hello. And then me, sometimes known as Alan. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Over to Saul. This is quite... I, I'm not Saul, That's but Calvin. I'm going to jump in here anyway. This is, I'm going to take my <laughs> opportunity uh, while I can. Uh, this is quite exciting. I can't remember the last time we all talked about a new cinema release, uh, other than, I suppose, the Oscar candidates, uh, some of which were still at the cinema when we were talking about that. This is quite an exciting climax to this season of Indiana Jones on the podcast, Ooh. talking about the new one. Looking forward to this discussion. A full franchise visited... Over the course of a few weeks, and mm. I think I think what we were all we all decided after the last film, Crystal Skull, that w- the one thing we really wanted was another Indiana Jones film with an even older <laughs> Indiana Jones. <laughs> no, I completely I completely disagree. Even actually. Harrison Ford doesn't want to be there. No, again, I completely disagree. <laughs> you, you're being all you know sarcastic and ironic yeah. about it, but I yeah. think that was actually the one thing certainly I wanted after Crystal Skull, I always felt like, well, you can't leave it like that. Come on. <laughs> you've got you've got to come back and clean up this mess. Nail it. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm very much of the opinion, and I always have been, even numbered Indiana Jones bad, odd numbered Indiana Jones good. And, mm-hmm. you know, did that did that rule play out here? That's the rule. Ooh. Odd numbered Indiana Jones, Nazis. Even numbered Indiana Jones <laughs> Not Nazis. Okay. This had been uh, bubbling under the uh, surface for a little while, but I feel like it was only really after The Force Awakens came out and was such a big hit that it, you know, it was ended up being talked about more seriously. Obviously, by that oh, yeah. point, Disney had bought Lucasfilm and were gonna, you know, try to. Uh, what's a, what's a politically correct way to say milk the uh, the teat <laughs> of each uh, intellectual property? But I feel like, oh, but also like, you know, everyone loved seeing Harrison Ford back in The Force Awakens as well, and it was cool seeing him back in that part. And then Blade Runner, not too long after, I think he'd, you know, got some credibility for returning to these franchises and leading them. Yeah, yeah. So it, it it made sense on paper, I think, but it just took an awful long time to get going. Obviously, Spielberg dropped out. There was COVID. Finally, 2023, here we are. That was my hot take, really, back when the uh, purchase, the acquisition of Lucasfilm was announced by Disney. Everyone was excited about Star Wars, and I was always like, I really couldn't care less about that. But I tell you what, I am excited because there is no way they're not going to make another Indiana Jones movie. Um, and I was surprised it took them as long as it did, to be perfectly frank. I thought they would have put that into production pretty much immediately after the deal went through, but instead they they waited until a few Star Wars movies had come out (laughs) to really start moving forward with it. I guess Kathleen Kennedy, she can only really focus on one big thing at a time. I think um, Spielberg's involvement was probably a big factor in that as well, because he was originally going to come back to direct this. And then I feel like after he dropped out, things started moving a bit quicker. Because obviously, I mean, he's, you know, 
he's Steven Spielberg, he's an industry in himself, and I think, you know, over the last few years, I think we've got a sense of, with, you know, West Side Story and The Fablemans, he's making more films for him these days. Mm, uh, mm. And I don't think the idea of returning to this franchise was ever as interesting for him as it was for Harrison Ford and even George Lucas, though I don't think George Lucas had much of a role to play in this one either. Oh, no, I don't think he had any role at all, yeah. He he sold mm. Lucasfilm to Disney and washed Cash his hands of everything. Then, uh, I don't think he's yeah. had any involvement at all since 2012 Just... in these projects. It's a shame that Spielberg had clearly no real desire to, to go back and see this through and finish it off from a personal perspective. I mean, not to jump right ahead of ourselves here, but I think my biggest issue with this film is that it's lacking Spielberg. Hmm. It, it just It's a shame, you know, because it, it, it would have been this beautiful kind of bookend, see out the, the, the franchise. Harrison Ford clearly was very invested in this project. It's um, It's been quite a remarkable year because... Certainly to me, and I think to many other people, Harrison Ford is a grumpy old git who, you know, he's he's <laughs> appreciative of the good fortune he's had and seems like a pleasant enough man, but he has no real love for the characters that he is known for. And this year it's like, oh, actually, it seems like asterisk except for Indiana Jones, who he does actually have a great deal of mm. fondness for. It, it's been very interesting to see him so passionate about the whole thing at, at personal press appearances and things like that. And it, yeah, certainly the impression I got is he actually really did care about this and his heart was in it. And I think, you know, I, I, I think he gives a great performance here. His performance wasn't exactly the problem in Crystal Skull, you know? It's, hmm. yeah. I enjoyed the film. Spoiler. I'm, I'm stunned. It felt like, like plot-wise and structurally, it felt better than like some of the others. Like, it felt like they had a quest and all this sort of stuff. It was a long film and I didn't get too bothered by that. I did. Mm. That's one of my biggest complaints for that. Uh, it was alright. It pulled me along for the most part. My biggest complaint is that it's about 20 minutes longer than the previous longest Indiana Jones movie and there is nothing about the plot whatsoever that justifies that. There is nothing about it that is 20 minutes more complex than mm. anything they've ever done before. So that frustrated me because it should have zipped along and I did think the the final act got a bit not the final act, the kind of the last bit of the second act really just got a bit mm. baggy. I could have cut a whole sequence, frankly, but uh there you go. Yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, it's too long. Oh, the films are all too long these days, but Well that was it. I, I I remember I checked my phone in the cinema. I, I thought to myself oh, wow, this film's really zipping along like the others. Like, this feels like we're like an hour in and look at how, you know, look at how much has happened and I'm so into it. Wow, can't believe, you know, it's zipping along so quickly. Check my phone, half an hour had passed. And I was like, oh, that's a bad <laughs> sign. <laughs> that's yeah. a bad sign. I had the opposite reaction after half an hour. Oh, really? You thought it was very slow and not a lot had happened? Yeah, well, half an hour is pretty much just the whole opening uh, sequence, all the de-aged stuff. No, ha um, half an hour in was about the bit where he's in a library with the dodgy CIA types chasing after him and... Oh, God. Uh, oh, right. Oh, and okay. uh, what's her name? Fleabag. Fleabag. Waller Bridge. Yeah. We just call her Fleabag. <laughs> <laughs> That's her nickname, isn't it? Oh, no, it's Flea. Flea's her nickname. That's where Fleabag comes from. No, it's Wombat. <laughs> no, in the film, it's Wombat. Yeah. 
I meant Phoebe Waller Bridge's actual real life nickname is Flea, oh, hence right. Fleabag. It's Sorry. like a corruption of that. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I I I went into this film conceptually, like before reviews started coming out, I was so excited for this. This is my Star Wars. I mean, not quite, because that implies I'm like a rabid fanboy, and I just really like Indiana Jones, and I wanted a good final outing to send it off. I thought there was no reason why such a thing couldn't be done. James Mangold, I think, is a very dependable director. I really have come down on the notion after watching this film that he is very much a hired studio gun. Like, I don't feel like there's a great deal of um, vision, maybe, behind what he's doing. That's perhaps not the right word there, but yeah, I I, I just thought, well, it's going to be, I'm going to get out of it what everyone else seemed to get out of The Force Awakens. That was that was kind of what I wanted. And then it premiered at Cannes, 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, that's since gone up to 69%. So I went in kind of cautiously optimistic, and yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, I but that's it. it. Like, what, what are you expecting? It's, it's an Indiana Jones film. It's not going to be an auteur piece. It is just... Well, well, let's trot this out again. It's a Hollywood product, and it always—that's what it was always designed to be. Would you would you not say the previous four films are undeniably the work of Steven Spielberg, though, through and through? Spielberg has, and Spielberg is very unusual in that he can somehow put his own stamp on and deliver a neatly packaged Hollywood product uh, at the same time. I, I, I suppose I wasn't hoping for a James Mangold film so much as a James Mangold emulating Steven Spielberg film. Um, <laughs> you know, and I know directors don't like doing that. You know, this is something Evil Dead runs into uh, whenever they make a new Evil Dead movie. The directors are all like, well, I'm not just I'm not just copying Sam Raimi. And it's like, well, you should, because <laughs> that's what we want. <laughs> Just to just to offer a counter opinion there, actually, because I w- I was initially very disappointed. I was the same, uh, you know, the same mind. It'd be lovely for Spielberg to have the run throughout all these things. It'd be a lovely bookend. It'd be, um, you know, very nice and neat. But then I kind of liked the idea of having another director's take on this character and this world. And antis- I, I had a greater sense of anticipation for it, I suppose, than uh, if it was Spielberg and I would have had a better idea of what I was going to get. And I think that, that, that there's a sense of melancholy to this film that I don't think Spielberg would ever have been able to, or wanted to do, really. Because I think Indiana Jones yeah. is something different to him. As opposed to James Mangold, who probably, I don't know how old he is, I'm assuming he probably grew up in the 80s or whatever, and um, you know probably had a lot of nostalgia for this character. And it's interesting to see someone other than Spielberg helming this character. But having someone, having someone pushing 80 direct this might have been good because might yeah. have given a bit of credence to that character and the way they're approaching it. Uh, where I was, mm. what, what I really got from this film was that it wasn't about an eight-year-old Indiana Jones. It's about a 57-year-old Indiana Jones who's being yeah. pushed into retirement early. It doesn't... Mm. It, that's what it felt like to me. It was just like, oh yeah, I'm getting a bit yeah. too old for this shit, as opposed to no, you really are. You're 80. It felt like a redo of Crystal Skull in a certain way. Yeah. I, I kind of get you there. I, I'm kind of with you, Calvin. I, I like the idea of seeing other directors do Indiana Jones, but I really feel like, well, that's something we do with you know the next one. That's something we do with the, the reboot, mm. the prequel, whatever comes next. I, I didn't really need it for the big finale. It just it makes the film feel a bit more 
disjointed, disconnected from the others. Mm, mm. But it, it's um, been going down interestingly. If you're someone who just looks at like what's going on on YouTube, you would come away with the impression that everyone hates this film and it's a complete and utter failure because uh, go woke, go broke. I'm not sure what aspect exactly is supposed to be the woke element that's... They put a woman in it and she actually has personality and character. And I, for one, think that does not fit with this franchise whatsoever. <laughs> also, he fights, he literally fights Nazis. Oh, the loony left are always doing that, saying we should punch Nazis and stuff. <laughs> yeah, so so I guess my point is, I I think it's very interesting, because the, the general discourse online seems to be incredibly negative, but my cinema screening was very busy, and I've spoken to a lot of people who are very casual filmgoers who are either planning to see it, have already seen it. In one instance, they went to the cinema to see it, but were late getting there and it had already started because they'd read the time wrong and missed it, but, you know, they, they intended to see it. And, and the box office is, you know, this film is doing actually pretty fucking good numbers, it's just that they spent an obscene amount of money on the budget, which means that by default it's going to be a big catastrophic flop for Disney. But I think general reaction to this film has actually been quite positive. I don't know mm. anyone who's seen it who hates it other than, like, loud people online. And, and uh, <laughs> it certainly sounds like the three of us are all kind of all right with it so far. Let's get into the beginning, because we have, uh, as tradition demands of Indiana Jones, we have... We have no mountain transition. No mountain transition. Oh, I was going to ask you about that, because I was late getting to the cinema. <gasps> just just late. You know, I was timing it to miss miss the adverts and get the trailers, and I just oh, I yeah, was running yeah, late. Yeah. So I got into the thing. I was trying to buy a ticket, and the guy was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'll buy a t- put a ticket in." Blah blah blah. I was like, "Oh, hang on, my till's just signed out. Just have to give it thirty seconds oh. to, to reboot." I was like, "You kidding me?" I'm like, "If I need to get in in the next thirty seconds, I'm gonna miss." Anyway, as I stepped into the door in the screen, the Paramount logo was on screen, so I didn't know if mm. it transitioned into the Paramount logo or not. But it didn't seem like it was. So I think I managed to. Uh, Absolutely nail the timing. It sounds like you saw it, so I don't know why you're asking about it. What happened was the Paramount logo went up on screen, and then we had the Lucasfilm logo, which is yeah, basically a rectangle, it, yeah. and then that transitioned into a lock on a door, which they opened. So they kind of kept the tradition alive, yeah, it a... but it annoyed me, because it's like, you just had a Paramount logo. Just swap the cards around, yeah. idiots. It's, it's annoying when they've got like a bunch of mountains around them as well, like just in this yeah. location. It's a very mountainous, sort of hilly region. It surely would have been very easy to do, but yeah. But yeah, we're in we're in mountainous the past. <laughs> the mountainous past, yes. Yeah. Um, the yeah. Austria or something like that, yeah. And I'll tell you what I didn't like about the opening stuff. Is it that there was a weird, <laughs> uncanny valley 30-year-old man who sounds like he's got the voice of an 80-year-old <laughs> coming out of him? <laughs> okay, we'll come back to that. But, oh, but, okay. but that wasn't it. No, what, what bothered me was I don't want to see Indiana Jones as like a full-on spy undercover playing a Nazi, pretending to be go through and all this sort of stuff. It felt it just didn't feel like Indiana Jones. That I want Indiana Jones to be like a stuffy lecturer who then has a bit of a another side of him where he goes out in a kind of adventurer. This was like full-on I'm working for the CIA kind of spy mission type thing, and it just didn't quite I, fit right. I. I thought it was a great scene 
all of that opening. I thought it was brilliant, really engaging, pretty decent action, great little beats like where he puts on the uniform and pretends to be a Nazi and then they see the bullet hole. Um, yeah, nice, nice bits. Yeah, nice. But I kind of agree in the to me, and Crystal Skull didn't really nail this either. To me, Indiana Jones is meant to open with very standalone action sequences that feel like little set pieces, and this. I think they were kind of going for that, but it it didn't feel standalone to me. It felt like it was inherently far too connected to the plot. It felt far too long to be just a little like, oh, what's Indy up to today, eh? Um, so I think it kind of missed the the spark of what those openings have been. But I still, I really enjoyed it. It was a long enough sequence that it made me feel like, is this the future of cinema? And because. This might as well not be Harrison Ford running around. Well, assume, Even him. assume it probably is It's like a, a stunt the physical double stuff, yeah. with his face slapped over it, yeah. Because he didn't have the physicality of an 80-year-old like Robert De Niro in The Irishman. <laughs> yeah. This is the 13th most expensive movie ever made. Oh, God. Could you, could you not give us slightly better de-aging effects than that? <laughs> I thought I thought the de-aging visibly was good. I thought, you know, it looked like a young Harrison Ford, but it then, was alright, but it wasn't seamless. I've seen Captain Marvel, and I've seen Terminator Dark Fate. Well, that's it. I think if you're doing this for a five-minute flashback or something, you can get away with it, can't you? But that to do a full sort of 20-minute sequence or whatever it is, or, or rely on it so heavily. and it, then It's the... just the, where's that money gone? This is the 13th most expensive movie ever made, and I genuinely do not know where that money went, having watched it. There's a Beatles song at the start. I guess that's probably like yeah. a few hundred million right there. But other than that... Insurance for an eight-year-old man to be... <laughs> I mean, COVID inflated the budget a bit. I don't think it accounts for that much. Do you know what the really stupid thing was? I was watching Mads Mikkelsen is the sort of the bad guy. And I was like, mm. I'm sure that's Mads Mikkelsen, but something just doesn't look quite right about him. It's like Mads Mikkelsen's <laughs> little brother or something. And it, honestly, it must have taken me about two minutes to go, oh, he's de-aged as well, obviously. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, and I had the same later. thing. Uh, the film is set in 1969, right? It's very very specifically located in time. So presumably the opening is 25 years earlier, because it's like near the end of the war. They're sort of talking about Hitler's falling apart. So that makes Bond... Uh, fucking hell, Bond. I've got Bond on the brain. <laughs> That makes Indiana Jones, like, 60. That's what he's supposed to be. But obviously he's de-aged a lot more, whereas Mads Mikkelsen still Wait, does it? doesn't look that much more, that much older, yeah. Um, I think Indy in this film is supposed to be 70. I think I read somewhere, yeah. I don't know how much of this is canon, but I think his birth date is 1899. Because wow. I, I think we're to believe he's about, like, 30s <laughs> in Raiders. Yeah. So I think that places him as, like, yeah, 70, you know, in the uh, start of the film. He was the same age as Harrison Ford, I think, in Crystal Skull, wasn't he? And that was the 50s, so, yeah, it wouldn't... He, he must be, like, 70 or so in this one. It's just... Mm. In terms of the timeline, um, can I come down the middle of you both on the de-aging thing? Because I, oh. um, I think this is, you know, damn... 
like amazing I, and i i do really enjoy the sequence for just like giving us as close as we could ever possibly get to you know indiana jones in his heyday type sequence where he's you know going around killing nazis and all that kind of stuff it just it does feel like a real return to the roots of the character and what we expect from these films yeah that being said <laughs> there were just like and i don't know if a part of this is just you know that that thing where a part of your brain just like knows it isn't real so you just pick up on things that you maybe wouldn't do otherwise because every now and then like if he was if he wasn't speaking and he was just sort of relatively mm. still i thought it was perfect and then something about lip movements i don't know if it's specifically like how lips press against teeth yeah, or something yeah. like that there is just something missing that i don't think anything has ever quite nailed but for the most part i thought this was fairly spot on uh, there were there were times though where i felt like i was just watching uh, toby jones on some kind of <laughs> virtual reality simulator because he seemed like the only tangible human being in the space <laughs> it, it looked like what i suspect the upcoming indiana jones video game made by mm. is it Bethesda is going to look like uh, yeah I, I it it was you know if you showed me this in 2017 I would have been like oh my god that's incredible and like don't get me wrong the effects what we can do now it's amazing it's amazing that we can do that to that extent and it looks that good it's just like I say the budget they had on this thing I don't understand why this isn't the best de-aging I've ever seen and it isn't I've seen it done much better in you know multiple other projects I I, I think they should have brought back River Phoenix to be honest that's what I would have done <laughs> yeah. my initial response was like oh god what the hell is this freak thing going on but even by the end of the opening sequence, I got used to it and it just didn't, like, I was fine. So I can see why if you're in the editing room and you're editing all it together, you just don't yeah. think anything of it after a while. It, but for everybody else watching this and that's their first, that first line comes out of his mouth, it's like, whoa. And then it immediately yeah. puts you up against, like, actually, yeah, this face is a bit odd, isn't it? What's going on? Those, why is his eye twitching and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. And, and then just, you know, this is a, an issue I have with the film in general, but... And it's the same issue I had with Crystal Skull, but less pronounced because CGI is, generally speaking, better these days. I just, I like practical effects, and mm. Indiana Jones to me is practical effects, and there was so much CGI for everything here, and I know, you know, that's how that's how movies are made now, and it's not like Indiana Jones was made with practical effects originally out of some crusade against using digital the effects, they just crusade. didn't, they were just using the, the effects available to them at the time, but it just, it didn't help, you know, I, I, I think... I think I would have been twice as on board with the film had it been a fully practical opening sequence with a de-aged CGI face slapped on it. Yeah, I know what you mean, but you can't achieve that sort of thing on pra with practical effects, can you? What you can achieve is is slightly yes. s different. But I'd be alright with that. Does that would that hold up today? I had this exact thought. Yeah, it would be a lot slower and you know pace differently and i think that would be refreshing i think that would be great and, and it made me think my my issue largely with this film in broad terms and it's kind of going back to james mangold here and his style it, it just it felt like indiana jones has been consumed by the corporate machine you know it just it just felt like oh this is like indiana jones was always obviously a, an entertainment product but this one felt like oh yeah like a, a boardroom meeting has taken place to determine what this film is and we're watching the outcome of that and it's mm. not necessarily bad it's just not got that kind of lightning in a bottle 
spark that it would have had if this was a, a more organic Steven Spielberg, George Lucas thing. But And we do see Toby Jones in the opening sequence, which is nice to see Toby Jones. Uh, an, a non-DH Toby Jones, so you know, immediately I was just thinking, he's going to be dead later. <laughs> he's not coming yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. But of course the setup is that his daughter is uh, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge and she's going to be our uh, other major lead for the rest of the film. My my instinct here is that isn't there a character we could have brought back who's already established like like John Hurt in the last one or someone like <laughs> Well, they're all dead. You that's know? the problem, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean is is there no one left alive they could Jim Broadbent. No, I guess he wouldn't have been on an adventure with him, would he? Uh Abner Ravenwood. They could have brought in Abner Ravenwood as a character finally, but no, they don't. Yeah. I don't think that means anything to anyone really. But yeah. but I mean, uh, by and large, I think it's a great opening. Like if this wasn't hmm. carrying the weight of Indiana Jones on its shoulders, you know, I wouldn't have any complaints at all. Really, like if this was just a generic Chris Hemsworth action movie or something that had come out, and I went to see it, I'd be like, oh, that was great. You know, this is this is exciting. Wonder what else is going to happen to this character, the Grey Man? Is that one of it? Is that right? Is he the Grey Man? Uh, which extraction. One is that? Is that Chris Pine. Oh, he's Extraction. Yes, yes, quite right. Who is the Grey Man? Is it Ryan Gosling? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Tom yeah. Holland's one of them as well. He's in there somewhere. Uh, speaking of um, characters you thought were were dead, uh, Mads Mikkelsen being uh, twatted across the head with the, uh, the post. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting a James Bond eye patch. I thought we were going to see him later. He'd have a huge dent in his head. Like, well, I thought that because I, I knew that the uh, you know time travel was going to be the MacGuffin of this one. I I assumed it was going to be you know it g- go into something like that. Like he travelled back in time, and you know we were going to see that he redid that situation, or I I don't know. Like he'd be in a wheelchair, and then he wouldn't be. I don't know. I thought there'd be something like that, but no, he's just fine later on one of the big complaints i've i've seen repeatedly about this film is the idea that it's shameful that they do time travel in it and like that's the macguffin and it's just like what if if you're if you're listening to this right and you're one of these people who's annoyed that they did time travel in this movie just shut the fuck up all right get a grip <laughs> But even even right. Indiana Jones says that. Like, there's a bit in the film where he's like going, "Oh, you know, this is this is just supernatural mumbo jumbo." And like, you you've seen things, and eventually he says this himself in the film. He says, "Like, I've seen things that I just can't explain, and so I have to accept that this is a possibility." But when he's talking to Basil, he's he's like going, "Like, this is just it's baloney, you know, it's nonsense." And it's like, well. You must have to have an open mind by now, surely. <laughs> Anyone who thinks that time travel is more of a stretch than interdimensional aliens, a box containing God, a 700-year-old knight who's been drinking from a cup that had a bit of blood in it once from a God who was born upon Earth. And chilled monkey brains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They don't even eat that in India, Alan. It's absurd. <laughs> no, I agree. I and I, th- I, I think like I, I felt well 
braced for like I didn't do all that much digging for for this. I just you know looked at some trailers. I you know I I felt like I was being pretty well prepped for the idea of time travel being a thing. I just didn't know to what extent they were gonna use it. I was expecting a lot more time travel shenanigans than we got. Well, I I will say that I I I think we've said in an earlier episode of the podcast like I was expecting the final act of this film to pretty much take us through footage from previous Indiana Jones adventures with Indiana mm. Jones reliving them. And that's why when I checked my phone when I was like, bloody hell, it's going on a bit. And there was still like 45 minutes left. I was like, okay, well they, they need the final like half hour just to do this, you know, victory lap of, of past glories. I'm alright with that. I will get into it properly, but that doesn't happen and that's kind of why I was annoyed with the running time at the end of it. I think it's kept to quite a minimum, really? What we get is, I think, very much in the vein of other Indiana Jones movies where yeah, the thing the thing's real and it goes all big at the end. The other complaint I've seen is that it's not a quote unquote real life artifact and it's like, well it, it kind of is. Yeah, I mean it is based on a real thing, yeah, yeah. In the same way that crystal skulls are real. Exactly, exactly. So Yeah, I, I was fine with it. And I you know what? Thematically I think time travel is a really beautiful thing if you're gonna bring in a supernatural element into the last film in this franchise. I think time travel's the way to go. It, it's you know, this is mm. a film dealing with a man's aging. And his job is, you know, he's an archaeologist. He's you know, a historian. So I think it was a really good way to go, personally. We're, we're introduced to this up front. Mads Mikkelsen, he wants, he wants a time machine. I will say it annoys me how long the film goes on refusing to acknowledge that they're looking for a time machine. And I think other <laughs> Indiana Jones movies do this as well. Crystal Skull does it where they like they refuse to actually say the word aliens, even though everyone knows they're looking for aliens at least, <sighs> you know, by a certain point into the film. Yeah, it was kind of like just 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 say you're looking for a time machine, Christ. Cut forward to quote unquote modern day, contemporary times. Mm-hmm. And we've got Indiana Jones who is living in a shitty little apartment and working like at a community college or something. Um, so he's fallen on hard times. First, I was thinking, how is he living in this shit apartment? Even if he hasn't, like, if he, even if he's kind of fallen, uh, you know, out of favour with academia, he still must have put aside a tasty little sum. But split up with his wife, hasn't he? He's obviously been kicked out of the house. He's had to just get a little apartment somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Near work, yeah. walking mm. distance to work. So, yeah, that's fair enough. He looks at the divorce papers, he he looks at a photo Keeps of them her on the and goes, ah. Oh. I mean, I saw that and I was like, okay, so that's the ending of the movie then. <laughs> she She's gonna walk in at the end. Alright, fine, okay. Well, did you guys notice there's a picture of um, Shia LaBeouf here in military garb, apparently, oh, as is well? There? I, I didn't completely missed it. It's probably not Shia LaBeouf. Someone who looks enough like him to get away without paying him. I did wonder that, because, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into what happened to that character in a bit. But yeah, here we sort of establish Indy as a lonely, grumpy old man. The local, the neighbouring young people are playing loud music and he's going over with a baseball bat to tell him to shut up. Um, and I, th- I thought, you know, I, I I thought it was quite brave that he's, uh, you know, introduced with his shirt off. He's, yeah. you know, he's a very, like, if I look like that when I'm 80 years old, I'll be very happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that, I, that was exactly my thought. I thought, <laughs> oh, they're going for, like, gross old man with his top off. And then he stood up and I was like, oh, bloody, if I look like that now, now I'd be pleased with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, they, these, these opening bits were very... I mean, talk about 
putting us in a time. First of all, there's a bunch of like, hey man, it's totally cool, we're playing the Beatles, man. And then it's like, oh, we've mm. just landed on the moon, everyone, we've landed on the moon, it's 1969. <laughs> like, but I think that's alright. I think, um, yeah, uh, th- th- having the uh, the New York scenes of this uh, film sort of play on the backdrop, you know, with the backdrop of the moon landing, uh, I thought, w- again, it, I think it just feeds into the theme of the film really nicely, and you know, people are more interested in the future now than the past and what it, yeah, you know, yeah. exciting things could possibly mean. Uh, you know, I, I I thought it was a really nice device just to contextualize Indiana Jones in the quote modern world. Yeah, I was fine with it. I mean, he lived through the moon landing. If we if we accept that he you know was born in eighteen ninety nine and and lived that long, then yeah, like why not see what he was up to on that day? I wasn't a huge fan of all the parade stuff just because it, again, it just why did it look like it was all mm. shot on a green screen? Well, is that just modern so. digital cinematography, <laughs> or w- was it just? I mean, could they not well, it will afford have been, to do a real I mean, parade on this budget? I, I well, they probably it. filmed it in a street, but then everything's touched up. Everything's like okay. Well, yeah, we had to make it look this, like old timey buildings and yeah, the yeah, skyline. So. It was the skyline that made it look so kind of weak. They filmed in Glasgow, I believe. Um, ah. And then, obviously, you know, every every building from you know third story has to be <laughs> extended or uh, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Um, but yeah, I agree. I, I particularly noticed it when Phoebe Waller Bridge, where it was uh, being chased along the rooftops. That was uh, the bit that stuck out in my mind. Yeah, yeah. It really wank. Yeah. So we 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 see him teaching his uh, teaching his class. And I, I'm not a huge fan of this, because they were going for, like, oh, he's boring, he's disillusioned, no one's interested, but his lecture's, like, boring as fuck, and he's just a boring old man just rambling on about nothing, who's not interested. And, I don't know, I kind of felt like Indiana Jones was quite an enthusiastic lecturer in the scenes we've seen him in in the past. And I think it would have been a lot nicer if he had been animated and, like, doing a good, engaging lecture, and no one's interested because of the moon landing, you know? And he's sort of grumpy, like, ah, damn, damn kids, no respect. I don't know, they played it, they chose to play it like, nah, he's checked out, he doesn't care anymore. Well, I did, yeah, I didn't even get that impression. I got the impression that he was trying and they, they'd checked out, and he, but he was like, I felt like he was doing, still trying to do something and teach them things. Like, even when we've seen him before, it's just archaeology in the classroom is not the exciting bit. That's why Indiana Jones, the explorer, as opposed to Professor Henry Jones, that's what that's the dichotomy of it. That's why it's interesting. Mm. Tweed suit, you know? Mm. Well, I, I, I liked all this anyway. I like where it's his retirement and he's just not interested and then he goes to a bar and uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, he was in his lecture. He, turns he, up. he bloody... They give him a beautiful carriage clock as a retirement present, and he just immediately <laughs> just chucks it at a homeless man. Like, ungrateful little sod. They've all had a little whip round for him to say something no, he, nice. He, he, he acknowledges it, and he does say something nice. He says, thank you very much, and then he just thinks, well, come on, what am I going to do with this? I don't need Put this. It on the mantelpiece. <laughs> he's just move. He's probably going to move again soon because he's not staying in that flat, is he? He's been kicked out by his wife. He's, he's already yeah, yeah. got a watch and a clock, probably, hasn't he? <laughs> Now the homeless man will know what time it is. <laughs> so he does, uh, yes, he then connects with Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, who it turns out is yeah. Basil's daughter. Because of it, good casting, that. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who could play her dad? <laughs> Toby Jones. Perfect. <laughs> He's about two feet shorter <laughs> than her. <laughs> Just, anyway, never mind that. Um, <laughs> uh, did, was, was Phoebe Waller-Bridge de-aged in this film? Because she looked great. 
Oh, um, I don't think so, but I think... She definitely didn't. She looked for... She's younger than you, Alan. She's one <laughs> year younger than me, so oh, let's start getting into that, all right? She's playing... She's, the character is 30. They, they even say that in the film. So she's playing younger. Calvin, last time, just... last time I spoke with Alan Calvin, he was telling me about how, you know, you know, you guys gave me a load of shit in that Diminisode we recorded. Because I was like, yeah, if I'd been born in LA, I reckon I'd probably be like a PA, yeah. a production company or something. And you were like, well, that's ludicrous. Alan was telling me like, <laughs> oh yeah, well, you know, if I'd, if I'd stayed with <laughs> who's now worked on something with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I'd be shagging her now. <laughs> that's, not, that's a... That's a a, a gross simplification of what I said, <laughs> Calvin. <laughs> but what what I was trying to put across was that it's it's someone famous that I'm I'm sort of tangibly in the same time as you know what I mean. I like I was. In but the also, same you really fancy her, and you wanted to. Bang and her. I definitely would if I could. <laughs> but that's, that's she wouldn't go for Alan. She likes older men. She's she likes like fifty year old men. She does. Yeah, that's what we established. <laughs> Just your point about how good she looks in this. I do agree, and I did have a bit of a like. This is the first time that I've seen Phoebe Waller-Bridge as you know movie star, which is what she is here. Like you know, the, the Harrison Ford is about your most typical sort of Hollywood leading man you can get, and I suppose that she's been made over to sort of be on par with him. I found it really jarring because to me she's Fleabag. You know, that's what I've seen her in. It's like Alexi Sale turning up as a sultan or something. <laughs> I have to admit to being a little on the fence with her. I, so, sometimes I don't feel like she quite gels with what they're going for. I didn't like her in it. I'll just say it. I, I didn't think the character worked at all. I didn't like it. It was. Just, I found the character very grating. I didn't really care for her performance. I don't think that's her fault. I think she's kind of something of a square peg being jammed into a round hole here. I, I like Phoebe yeah. Waller-Bridge. I think she's a very talented woman. I love uh, Fleabag, which is, you know, the main thing I've kind of seen her in. I liked her as that droid in uh, Solo. I, I didn't really like anything about the character here. She felt mm. like what other people say about uh, Willy in Temple of Doom when they don't like her. She she gets away with it because they introduce Short Round 2, who is obviously the worst sidekick Indiana Jones has ever had, and he mm. he kind of takes the heat off a bit, but well, no, I, think the, I wasn't the, a fan the, of either. The character here, you know, the difference is the character here does have a very sort of full personality and a character. And oh yeah, she's got, a, she's got the most agency out of anyone in the film, other than maybe Mads Mikkelsen. Whereas the other, your other female leads don't have that. I didn't have any problem with her kind of performance, blah, 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 like, kind of like what you're saying. But yeah, I agree, it doesn't quite fit. And I think the main problem is that the, we never get really much of a connection between her and Indiana Jones. And I think that needs to mm. be there, even if yeah. it's a paternal yeah. thing. I agree. That opening sequence needed, like, a nubbin at the end where they, like, return home and Toby Jones is there and he's like, oh, daughter! And he's like, hey, wombat! And, you know, it just <laughs> needed that little moment, I think. To... Yeah. And then also, they should have cast someone who looked like her to play her dad. Because I, yeah. I just never... Ne I know, you know, casting and suspend your disbelief. But it was like, come on, they don't look anything like each other at all. <laughs> and he's a very distinctive looking man. Yeah. Okay, well, it sounds like we're sort of evenly split over how we feel about Phoebe Waller-Bridge in this. How do we feel about, because we are reintroduced here to uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who is the main villain, probably my second favourite indie villain after Kate Blanchett, but th that's not a, a terribly high bar, I don't think. I'll do you one better, Calvin. He's my favourite. 
I um I really enjoyed him here. Yeah. Like you say, it's a low bar. I've never yeah. really liked them in any of these movies. This is the first one where I've thought, okay, this is a character who I can remember. <laughs> like he's got clear motivation. He is a good performance. Uh, he looks the part. Bloody hell. And um yeah, I was alright with it. In theory, I'd prefer Kate Blanchett, but you know she had terrible material to work with mm-hmm. yeah i mean yeah it's a low bar isn't it the, the villains are so weak in this in the franchise so yeah i think mad mickelson you're usually on pretty safe ground there i thought it was a bit weird they just kept hammering the nazi thing like oh he's a nazi he's a nazi uh, i was like why are they do-? But obviously it's because you know his whole his whole shtick is to bring back the nazis but under his power i kind of liked it because there's a scene where we re-establish him in in like contemporary 1969 mm-hmm. and a black man is bringing some food up to his hotel room oh, i love that scene i i think the modern impulse here would be to give the character a bit of nuance and maybe even <laughs> humanize him a bit and make him like not be a total dick to this guy just because he's black and to maybe have him be like ah oh, you're you know you're one of the good ones or something like that but no he's just a total racist cock and i was like yeah, I guess that, I mean, that is what, like, an evil Nazi would be like, isn't it? I thought that was actually the most tense scene in the whole film. Like, yeah, I genuinely yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't know what was going to happen here, and I was very fearful for the uh, hotel porter's life. I was just yeah. like, ah. Yeah, but I, I thought it was very effective, very creepy, really, um, yeah, because that's, like, the first proper scene for Mads as the villain. I know he was in the, the pre-titles, if we call it that, even though they were pre-the titles, but yeah, mm. um, yeah. Love that scene. Well, what, what what happens next? We we Phoebe Waller Bridge takes Indy on the start of their adventure. They go to the library. Mads Mickelson's hired goons goons go chasing after <laughs> go chasing after them. Can I can and we then talk we have a big action sequence through for a bit? Yeah, because there's the it's like little and large. You know, there's a little one and a big one. First of all, if you're gonna do that, get. A Toby Jones in there, you know, go little if you're gonna go large. I like large, but I feel like little could have been better. Yeah, I'm with yeah, you. exactly, exactly. Like I, I, they just felt such comic book villains. Uh, I don't know, it just didn't quite. I don't know, it was all just a I bit too on the I, nose uh, for me. You know, the one just a total psychopath, and then the enforcer. You know, yeah, I thought they were the perfect continuation of the Peter Lorre looking motherfucker out of Raiders and the 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 other weird-looking Nazi guy. There's always a, mm-hmm. a bunch of, like, gangly, weird-looking Nazi people in these films, just in the background, too. Yeah, I, I don't know, I quite, I thought it was fine. If anything, I felt they gave them too much personality, because mm-hmm. I was sort of like, oh, is there meant to be, like, a, an arc here for this character? I'm getting to know him a bit too much, and... and I was surprised that they, uh, I think, uh, you know, you can tell this isn't a Steven Spielberg Indiana Jones film when they kill those uh, two innocent uh, colleagues. Well, yeah. That's what I thought, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know, I I had that thought. I was like, oh, fucking hell, we're going dark. Well, that goes right through the film. Life is cheap. People get killed very easily in this, and not just Nazis, you know. There's a brutality to this film that I think is new to Indiana Jones, and it really, the most egregious example is when Short Round the Second uh, is handcuffed to, to large, and they fall off the the bridge and he slips out the handcuff handcuffs him to these these bars underwater and leaves him to knowing that he will die yeah 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 and the the look it's like a really brutal like oh that guy's gonna drown and like yeah he's a horrible evil man and by all accounts he probably deserves it but it's just a nasty that does take something when you're desperate for air but you take a second to just look into the eyes of the man you've just killed yeah 
And there's yeah. something uh, there's something about it because you know in in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know Indiana Jones uh, lets a guy get chopped up by a propeller blade, and I don't know. There's just there's something about this that didn't play like that. It, it played more dark and gruesome, mm. and like oh god, mm. I'm thinking about how horrible it would be to die now. <laughs> whereas <laughs> whereas it was more like Looney Tunes stuff in the other films. But yeah, I guess that's a James Mangold thing. I hadn't really thought about that. At this point in the film, we're sort of into a series of chase sequences. Uh, there's the whole yeah. New York sequence. I really enjoyed when the horse got involved because yeah. oh, no. because at this point, no, because at this point, I was like, oh god, they're really playing it like he's an 80 year old Indiana Jones here. Like he, you, he seems like a frail old man. And they're not, like, pushing that too much. And then he gets on horseback, and I was like, okay, I guess, like, because I'd, I'd be struggling here if he was running around and having to be too physical. I can kind of buy he's just sat on a horse. I mean, like, I know actually riding a horse is an incredibly physical activity. Let's, let's you know, not think about that too hard. But I thought it was a nice way to give Old Man Indy an action scene that was pretty thrilling and and worked and i yeah i enjoyed it i didn't like um everything happening with phoebe waller bridge concurrently not so much her but the 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 special effects (laughs) the shit rooftop effects yeah i loved all the stuff on the subway i really yeah i I was really into this the horse running along the train lines are now come on it it, it, that's that was jumping the shark for me it was just crossed the line for me that's just Mm. nonsense what happens next they go world hopping well yeah this is where we sort of uh start you know the 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 adventure proper indy gets some help from salah john reese davies back i loved it i don't even care about salah and uh, when he turned up i was like oh he's back there he is salah yeah. I love old versions of characters. We've established this. I really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, he's got he's got a family. He's moved to New York. It's so good. Oh. Still wears affairs. Of course he does. When I wasn't being distracted by the, again, just pretty awful uh, green screen behind him when he's dropping Indy off at the airport, I loved his little speech about wanting, you know, to see the sand again and all that kind of stuff, the spirit of adventure. I, I did suspect, based on that speech, he was going to turn up at some point later on, actually on the adventure. I know he comes back at the very end, but I... I guess we're to just accept that, okay, maybe one last adventure isn't for everyone. I'm not quite sure how mm. to take that. Yeah, I like seeing him here all the same. I, I, I guess it might, it, it would have run the risk of being a bit like a comedy with old men with Zimmer frames <laughs> running around, like doing action scenes, which I would have been all for, but. Yeah, I can yeah. kind of see why they chose not to. We go to Tangier next, where Phoebe Waller-Bridge, we've discovered that she's uh, well, a capitalist, really. She's oh, holding these auctions for, the, for these artifacts that belong in a museum. Uh, an American museum, specifically, as I think Alan said in the last uh, podcast. <laughs> the museum I work for. <laughs> but then we get... So we were introduced to Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Short Round 2, Teddy. But then we get this... I suppose this is probably the most capery is it a caper i don't i feel like this is going to be a fairly common complaint as we go over the next few scenes which are all sort of action set pieces in theory really like all this tuk-tuk taxi stuff but Mm. just some of the cg is just so bad it it really is video gamey um i'll add to 
that in that I think the action from this point onwards is largely quite mediocre. Like it's it's not bad. It was just this is where I started to notice the lack of Spielberg. There was just no real spark to this action sequence yeah. and most yeah. of the action sequences that followed for me. Like I I was fully engaged by the opening. I quite enjoyed the New York bit, uh, give or take. But yeah, this one onwards, I was kind of like. Yeah. The action scenes, it was all just a bit too long for me, but I think that probably plays into the same thing. Yeah. If there's something going on, if there's some spark, something interesting, it doesn't feel mm. too long. But if it's just action, I don't care. And I don't I, I do have a low tolerance for That's it. That's it. Like the the bit where Indiana Jones like gets in the other car and then back. Was that this one or is that Crystal Skull? That's this one, right? <laughs> yeah. When that happens, I was like, oh, this is exciting, this is cool, but that's the only <laughs> bit of the whole chase I can remember. The rest I just remember thinking like, eh. They go through this massive uh, chase with this tuk-tuk of Nick and, you know, it gets smashed up, blah, blah, blah. And then... They spend ages like trying to fix it up so they can get it going, get to the end of where they're trying to get to, all this sort of thing. Like, why not just steal another one? You clearly have no moral imperative about stealing <laughs> other people's vehicles. So just steal one, you fucking thieves. That's a good point. <laughs> Putting chewing gum in it. <laughs> oh, one other thing as well. One of the worst bits of foreshadowing that they, they've done. We When we introduced to Teddy, the young boy who is, helps them, he's learning how to fly. Oh, yeah. With some, like, paper plates and a bit of string. And it's like, oh, I wonder if that's <laughs> going to be anything later. <laughs> oh, it was pathetic. <laughs> Awful. While, while this is going on, there's this um, unusual subplot. I'm not quite sure why it's here. The CIA are involved in whatever Mads Mikkelsen is up to. There's this agent. Uh, her name is Mason. It, it's interesting that she's clearly not a villain, but she is witness to the murdering of innocent people and clearly knows that there's something up with Mads Mikkelsen. Um, she's black as well, so so that plays into some of the tension here that was established in the scene with the uh, the hotel porter. Um, and yet she is killed very quickly. Unceremoniously, yeah. And apparently her death scene originally, we don't know the specifics, but the, the actor has, has said that she basically asked them to change it because there were mm. some di- there was some dialogue from Mads Mikkelsen she felt was unnecessary when her character was killed and I don't know what that is because oh, it can't it wasn't in the script he improved it but <laughs> <laughs> but I mean you know it can't possibly have been like the n-word in an Indiana Jones movie so I don't really know what maybe called her a dog or something like that which still plays quite you know unpleasantly but but it felt weird like we're setting we're really setting a character up here whereas this part should probably be much more of a generic blends into the background kind of a role Mm. because it was to the point that I was like oh is she gonna turn up again when they go back in time (laughs) is that gonna be why we well so so many people were getting killed that I was thinking this is where the time travel is going to come in this is all going to get kind of reversed yeah. somehow and all. so i was kind of expecting all that to happen which obviously it doesn't but yeah. but yeah i agree with it i it seemed like the point of that character was to really just set up like this he's rogue he is not with the cia he's killed the cia person who's handling him so it's absolutely nothing to do with the american government uh, it's messy writing i think it's probably worth noting here actually just on that point so there are four credited writers on this uh mm. james mangold himself david Co- Coep being another who obviously wrote the previous one. 
couple of other writers, and yeah, those are the credited ones, so I do wonder how many hands were on this, because I feel like, you know, and I feel like in this conversation now, we've sort of, you know, we've all sort of chipped in with, you know, where we thought the time travel was going to go. It feels like there is set up here for something. Uh, India enlists the help of an old friend, Antonio Banderas, who, uh, has a boat. The whole way through, I was like, bloody hell, that's a good looking old man. And then I thought, oh, he, he, he looks just like Antonio Banderas, but there's no way they'd get him in for such a, like, shit small part. And then when the credits rolled, he was like, I mean, he's not second build, but he was right up at the top of the credits when they started rolling. I was like, oh, right. Okay. And again, yeah, yeah, a relatively small role and killed, and lots of other people killed just, yeah. just kind of like that. It is in this scene where we discover what happened to Shia LaBeouf. He died. Yeah. I, I really like this. I've I've seen people complain about them just a quote unquote kind of erasing Crystal Skull from canon or like shitting all over it with this film, and I don't know if we watched the same film. Like I I was surprised with how much reverence Dial of Destiny showed for Crystal Skull as a whole, where it mm. could have just been like fuck this and ignore that and blah 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 blah. I think what we got here retroactively makes that film a more valuable part of the canon and mm. like almost made me like it more because it's like, oh yeah, this has given some real emotional depth to the proceedings here. Again, I kind of feel like Mutt Williams could have used been used much better than he was. I'll get into that again when I talk about what I think should have happened. But yeah, it was a nice moment of emotional depth that uh, you don't really expect from an Indiana Jones movie, but Last Crusade certainly snuck mm-hmm. a few of these little moments in so it's not without precedent no i was mm. all right with that as well i felt like it gave the character some emotional stakes uh we 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 kind of simp- we empathize with them a lot and and it also means we don't have to have shia labeouf in it i think it would have been worse to just kind of go oh by the way i've got a son somewhere that i never really talked to no i agree or just have a photo of him like sean connery on his desk mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well we are three for three on this then because i i agree i i thought this was really good i thought Again, like other than Last Crusade, I can't think of any moments in indie that have moved me. Uh, and this was one of them, really. I thought Ford was really good in the part in the moment. Mm, proper acting from him, yeah, yeah, which you don't see a lot of, really. When they said he died, I was kind of like, a part of me was a bit, you know, the cynical side of me was kind of like, oh yes, obviously you've killed off the character that everyone hated. But then as the scene went on and just how the yeah, you know, the so. dialogue was delivered, I thought like, oh actually, <laughs> this is really again to your point, Sol. It just made me sort of yeah, weirdly fond and nostalgic for something that I didn't really care all that much about in the past. But yeah, mm. I think it, it validates Crystal Skull more as a entry in this series, rand- weirdly. Yeah. I, I, I also like that we're on a boat here, by the way, just in general. Because <laughs> mm. one of my issues with this film was that there's loads of world hopping in it, but by and large, the locations we go to all just kind of look like places from other Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> yeah. It, it just... Mm. It, I was sort of... Halfway through, I was like, oh, isn't there somewhere different looking we could have gone? Uh, mm. And yeah, boat out in the ocean. It's like, okay, I guess that's kind of a new biome. 
for Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. A very unnecessarily, uh, oh, we need to create some drama. You can only be underwater for three minutes. <laughs> it just felt a very desperate attempt to try and make it more exciting, and it didn't work at all. I don't think the bends works like that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> they didn't even go that deep. I mean, probably deep enough to put yourself in trouble, but, you know, it wasn't that deep, really, in any real term. I think if you go down with pressure, like I think, I think you know, it's the pressure, and I think it's how quickly you come up. Yeah, is the exactly, issue, yeah, yeah. rather than <laughs> don't stay down there too long. Um, I don't think Harrison Ford's skin touched a drop of water in the filming <laughs> of that sequence, by the way. I think there's, you could just... T- the, 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 there's someone with a fan in front of him that's and they're filming it at, like, half speed so that it, uh, you know, it, it, it gives the illusion of being underwater like they did with that Bond girl in For Your Eyes Only, because she... <laughs> couldn't go underwater because of sinus issues so they just filmed it and pretended that it was underwater <laughs> did you like the uh the crowbarred snakes eels sea water snakes. snakes why did it have to be fish snakes <laughs> i i when he said when he said like watch out for the eels or whatever and then he kind of went eels i was like oh i like that. eels all up inside you and then they had to have short rounds be like eels they look like snakes i do boy by god fuck up short round in the Moroccan <laughs> I quite like this action scene by the way I just want to point out we've kind of been taking the piss out of it but by by and large I thought it was quite a good sequence I was alright with it Whoa. wasn't too long yeah. yeah okay but then there's a, the big sort of to do the big sort of uh, meet up between the hero and villain on the boat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a bit of discussion. Mm. We get we see we see some more Phoebe Waller Bridge's character, you know, being slightly duplicitous. Yeah, she she does a bit of double crossing. Yeah, we still know that she's kind of she's in she's on her own. A bit team. of sleight of hand just, with some she's dynamite. She's just after the the booty, uh, so to speak. Right? Well, that's mm. what she leads you to believe, but then she you know she does she could have just totally double crossed, but she actually did like more of a double double cross. She's not doing it so that they can escape. She's doing it so she can get this thing and go and make a load of money. She could have been smarter about this, though, because what she does is she translates this old rune with, like, a clue of where to go. And she says, ah, that means it's over here. And then they get away in a boat. Indiana Jones is like, you told them where to go. And she's like, no, I didn't. I told them a pretend place. They're going to go to the wrong place. And then Mads Mikkelsen (laughs) just goes... Well, they told us to go left, but they're clearly going right, so just follow them. <laughs> I thought that was good writing. She could have completely it. it when she was when she was reading the thing. She could have just completely made it like my first is in apple, but not in canoe. Where am I? <laughs> like, it reminded me of um, my favorite line in a film ever, which is um, is it Rogue One when they're trying to hide Felicity Jones, uh, and we have a flashback to Jodie Comer as her mum, and she. <laughs> And they've just they've just hidden the kid on Jakku and then the guards come looking for looking for the kid and Jodie Cummer goes in the flashback. She's not on Jakku <laughs> <laughs> Which I believe is an exact quote. <laughs> Oh dear! Really reminded me of that. There's a, there's a very specific type of uh, solving a problem writing that you get in these Lucasfilm projects, and I'm not quite sure why that is. But anyway, um, 
Mads Mikkelsen chases them to the correct place, walk through a sort of temple. And you know what? I was I was enjoying all this stuff because it was like a quest and it was like, oh, solve this puzzle, get yeah. to this bit. Someone's mm. chasing us, we're running away from this. This is what I want from Indiana Jones and I think I don't get it enough out of the other films, frankly. I feel like I got more of it from this film than I have in all the others. I'm kind of with you. The, the little questy bits we got here felt a bit too brushed over, you know? The, there's the bit they go in a room and it's full of methane, was it? Yeah. And like oh, struggling, yes, yes. struggling to breathe, and then did that, that didn't really pay off, did it? Well, no, they just immediately like solve a puzzle and can breathe again. It, that's what I mean. It just felt a bit like. Mm. But in theory, I like this stuff. I think I was flagging a bit though at this point. I think the film was starting to feel its length for me. But then Mads Mikkelsen turns up again, brutal, just like kill an innocent guy running the tourist spot that they're sneaking into after dark. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it it sort of implicitly like they're gonna do something, but you don't know if he's dead. But then later on, there was a shot that pretty much confirms, like, oh yeah, they killed him. Yeah, just in case you're wondering. Oh, and by the <laughs> way, they stole another car this time from a couple just getting married. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, yeah, we go through this whole thing, and this leads us really to the the third act, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Because the bad the bad guys catch them, take mm. the uh, what's it called, the artifact. An Antikythera. That's, That's it, the Antikythera. Yeah, yeah. They they put the thing together. Oh, it works. Mads Mikkelsen's like, ah, time travel. I can go back and win the war for the Nazis. So you, I know you're a big. Uh, what's the polite word of saying this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> stickler. Stickler. There we go. Yes, uh, an aficionado of time travel devices. Uh, I thought you assumed I was going to get upset about the logic of Indiana Jones being shot in the shoulder and like bleeding oh. out, but <laughs> then being like perfectly fine for presumably over an hour. I'm uh, <laughs> hoping you can explain to me how the time travel thing works because I think I understand. So uh, at first, I thought that the device just holding it, you could set it to a place in time where you want to go, and then it will take you there. But but no, 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 it no. actually just tells you to go to this one particular rift, which takes you out to that one particular moment in time. Is that right? It, it, my understanding is that you put in the coordinates of where you want, when and where you want to go. Well, when I don't think it necessarily can transport you through space, or that's what they think. Uh, mm. Yeah, you put in when you want to go in time. It goes ah, well, the next portal. The idea is that just random portals are opening up, rifts through time are just constantly opening up, and we haven't noticed them because it's for like a few minutes at a time, and I guess they're in the sky and what have you. Hmm. And it goes, ah, well, this next portal to this time is going to be at these coordinates, head over there. So Mads Mikkelsen puts in the uh, coordinates and they fly over there, and he's like, huzzah, brilliant. And then the twist is that actually, not to get ahead of ourselves, but actually it doesn't do that. It just directs you to a portal in time that will always take you specifically to this one... (laughs) time and place, because Archimedes was trying to bring people to this one time and place for help. Right, okay. Which I really liked, by the way. They'd set up this whole time travel thing and all that, and then it turned out this guy, Archimedes, had created this time travel machine that would just bring people to him, there and now, because Mm. he's thinking, we're in the middle of this war, and the future people will come and help us. 
And I just love that because they've been talking about, like, oh, what would you do if you could travel through time? Oh, go back and kill Hitler, blah, blah, blah. But to him, this battle is the most important thing that's ever happened in the world. And so future people will come back to this and, and it will matter, even though mm. actually it's just this sort of thing that's remembered by a few archaeologists and uh, history teachers. <laughs> I really liked it as well. I, I was expecting, as we said, like, for, for the film to be like, aha, look, we're back in the temple from the start of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, mm. And, like, that would be okay, but it's kind of a cheap fan service move that I don't necessarily want from these films. And they go back in time, they look down, ah, the, the Nazis are fighting the war. Ah, brilliant, it worked. And then you get a bit closer, and you're like, hang on, those aren't Nazi <laughs> votes? And oh, I was so happy. I was like, this is the fun, this is brilliant, this is so funny. Harrison Ford starts laughing at Mads Mikkelsen as well, who's just, like, having a breakdown. It was brilliant. Loved yeah. it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it too. The whole third act, I've heard people complain that the film, like, goes too far here. And I think, come on, it's it's brilliant. Why wouldn't you want to see Indiana Jones having a bit of fun in a, a, a an ancient Roman battle? This is brilliant. Yeah, I completely agree. I loved this, and just because again, like I was sort of expecting them to do some kind of fan service thing along the, you know, what you were saying, Sol. Like maybe they'd have to go back through the previous films. I knew that the time travel was going to be a part of this. I didn't expect that, <laughs> and just how they just you know introduce you to that time and stuff. I just thought it was a great surprise. Mm of like, are they really doing that? Oh, they really are doing that. And then all of the Nazis going crazy, just like shooting randomly. I just thought, yeah, this is insane. The, it's the first point in the film as well where I was like, oh, here's where they spent a bit of that budget. <laughs> <laughs> right, this, yeah. This, this, this looks very expensive now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just liked it. It was not what I expect from time travel. It was a real sort of rug pull. It felt like all the things you could do, mm. this was different and unusual. But it still managed to have that emotional resonance for the character. It mm. felt like a real inversion of expectations in a way that I think was very deliberate and very effectively mm. handled. And it mm. felt like a classic Indiana Jones third act, you know? You go to the, the old temple with an ancient monk knight person there, and you know, mm. it was that kind of a thing. Mm. And, and I, you know, Mads Mikkelsen, the Nazis are brought down by by their own hubris again. Uh, if I have one major complaint about the sequence, it's that I really would have preferred that his face melted off. But... <laughs> oh, yes! He didn't get a grisly enough death, did he? Like, the villains always yeah. get sort of grisly deaths in these films, and I felt like his was a bit... I know that some... I think they go over and, like, some soldier goes over and pokes him a bit or something when he's out dead, and I did I did think he was going to get up at some point. We were going to have him with sort of, like, a half-burned face, like, going after Indy one last time, but no. Yeah. But, yeah, by and large, I love this scene. I wish Indy had stayed there, though. Th that right. So I didn't. So what happens is they're they're getting ready to. So short round two flies a plane after the bad guy's plane, which is a oh, bit can, pushing. Wait a minute. Credibility. I know. I'm bringing it up cause... so you can have your complaint. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so the kid f set, gets the plane flying. Bear in mind, he's never been in a plane before. He's learned with cups yep. and saucers. That's stretching credulity. It's dark, it's raining, it's the worst possible conditions to try and get a planet yeah. around. But okay. But then they have to have this kind of almost non-speaking extra pilot 
in the back, just sat in the back, because they know it would be too far to say that he'd landed that thing. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> so and then takes it off and flies it back to the portal at the other end. And then, but then that, that guy just goes unmentioned completely. This is guy who gets dragged through time and space, who doesn't has no idea what's going on. And he doesn't even get to have a couple of lines, like, at the end. And he's also capable of sleeping through <laughs> an aeroplane takeoff he wasn't alive. anticipating. It's it's quite bad when your plot device character, which is what Teddy is in this moment, needs a plot device character to yeah. <laughs> function, yeah. to actually work. Yeah, again, it's just, there's, there's a lot of messy writing in this film, which is unfortunate. And I guess that's a good enough a place as any to kind of get into my, my thoughts on how the show should have gone down because because mm. i i love the idea that harrison ford indiana jones he wants to stay in the past when he gets there and it's like no he spent his whole life studying this and now he's here it means the world to him to see it and also what has he got to live for in his own time he's an old man he's accepting his kind of mortality i loved all that but it came out of nowhere and and it just really struck me like we needed to establish it further than we did uh, actually, mm-hmm. I'll get into what should have happened if we kind of... So basically, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge smacks him in the face, knocks him out, and forces him home. And then he mm. wakes up in a bed in his own time, bandaged up. He's not going to die from the bullet wound after all. And then, because, you know, we just needed to inject some emotional uh, gravitas to the film and give it a kind of satisfying ending that is kind of pulled out of the film's ass, to be perfectly frank, but is also very effective. Marion turns up. Just walks through the door. Mm. Oh, Phoebe Wallerbridge told me that you wanted to get back together. All right then. Well, yeah. I mean, look. If you were falling on hard times, you split with your husband, but maybe there's still some love there, and then someone rings you up and say he might die. Actually, he's been shot <laughs> again. Uh, <laughs> you'd probably pop round, wouldn't you? So I just feel like maybe Indiana Jones should have gone on an obvious character journey that makes us, the audience, believe that he is now ready to be with Marion again. He's put some demons to rest that caused them to split up in the first place. And then, obviously, he gives the speech about Mutt Williams, and he's like, well, this is, you know, my son died, and that ultimately caused this grief that tore us apart. I just, it, it was like, right, so why, there's a time machine in this film. So why don't we write it so that Indiana Jones knows at a certain point that this is supposedly a time machine that they're going after? And he's sceptical about it, but he's open to the idea that maybe it's real. So maybe we write it in such a way that he begins to believe, shit, maybe I can go back and bring my son or prevent him from dying maybe Hmm. this can be what we do here and then you go back in time you just slightly tweak the event so that he something happens that he 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 sees a father daughter relationship and his relationship with phoebe waller bridge or something something happens that makes him content to get over the death of his son essentially or at least move on in such a sense and be Hmm. content with things and then he chooses to, like, come back. It, it all just felt like the pieces were there, and it was all just a bit arbitrary. And I think it would have been so much nicer if he'd grown, changed, and, you know, from an audience perspective, earned the happy ending that he gets. 
Because as it stands, it's all just arbitrary. They just split him and Marion up, which is, you know, kind of poor form in writing these days, fridging the female love interest just to kind of bring her back at the end. Like, and, and don't get me wrong, it does work. It works very well. But I'm also just very aware that it, it's kind of an emotional manipulation that they pull on us. And it felt kind of cheap when I really thought about the film in more depth afterwards. Mm. Oh yeah, when I think about them reciting the, you know, the lines from Raiders as well, and that's kind of their last, you know, I guess that's the last we'll see of both the characters, and I agree, it is like, oh, it is just a bit cheap, could you have just invented something new? But then maybe, you know, maybe the nostalgia's fine, I mean, I I did find myself moved again by it. I I like your rewrite, actually, Sol, I think that would be, yeah, that (laughs) would make much more sense. Um, It, It just felt like the pieces were all put there and they just needed to be assembled slightly differently and it's a shame because i think had what i just said kind of been how it played out had it kind of really stuck the landing there i think this would have been a solid solid eight out of ten for me quite a respectable Mm. one maybe maybe even more than that i don't know as it stands i i enjoyed this film a lot it was great fun i'm really glad it exists on my little letterbox review actually i likened it to the gum they stick over the radiator and the tuk tuk to kind of just get it to its end destination you know i I felt like this franchise Mm. just needed something to come along and carry it to a satisfying conclusion after crystal skull Mm. and that's what this film is it's it's the you know it's the 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 quick fix we needed It, it 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 glues over that that crack and it works and it gets us to this satisfying conclusion for the character in a way that i think is completely satisfying i was very happy with it and you know that's in spite of many flaws and issues that i have with it but yeah ultimately i do think it's a good film um i give it a seven out of ten uh and in terms of rankings that would place it bang in the middle for me in between raiders and last crusade on one side and uh crystal skull and temple of doom on the other mm. yeah i mean okay. i i enjoyed the film actually and i think like i said in terms of structure it had more of the things that i wanted to see but it felt like i wanted to see this 40 years ago i like the whole plot structure and everything just felt a little bit old fashioned i guess that's in keeping with it but I don't know. It didn't. It just didn't quite play for me. But I enjoyed it as a romp. It, it, despite its length, I didn't feel too strung out. I think it really benefited from the cinematic experience. Actually, for what it's worth, I went to see it in the cinema, and I think not even just like, oh, well, you need to see it on a big screen, but just to be there in the darkness and kind of focus on one thing and not get distracted. I think it's something I don't do enough these days. So <laughs> I gave it a seven. Yeah. Very good from you, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, we, we all seem to be very much on the same page with this film, then. I also enjoyed it an awful lot. I felt genuinely moved in a few places. I feel like this is actually, it's not my favourite Indiana Jones film, but I think it's a really good send-off for the character, actually. I think it's, uh, um, mm. you know, to Sol's point earlier on, I think it actually validates the film that I liked the least in, in, the, um, in the series and makes me think of that in a sort of different way when I look at these as like a five-film piece. Mm. I give it an 8 out of 10, but it also goes, I think, I, I, it's a top, if I were to rank them at the bottom is Crystal Skull, then I, I can't decide. I need to watch Dial of Destiny again before I decide whether it's this or Temple of Doom. Then it's Raiders and then it's Last Crusade at the top. Um, but overall, I, I've not given less than a six uh, for any of these films. So I, I feel like it's a strong series as far as I'm concerned. Mm. 
Yeah, and it's it's a damn shame that it's performing so badly financially, um, mm. even though it's making a great deal of money. Uh, money money that would be deemed a massive success were this a reasonable budget for this sort of film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're recording this a couple of weeks after its release, and I think it's, you know, we're recording this on a Thursday, I think the current box office total is $256 million, mm. uh, which is not nothing to be sniffed at until you look at the budget of $300 million. Yeah. <laughs> you think, like, oh, if this cost half as much, it'd be, you know, on its way to profit, but... Well, that's it. With with that budget and marketing and everything, the film basically has to make a billion dollars to, like, break even. Mm. And it, to be perfectly frank, I think word of mouth on this film is actually pretty good. I think it's got legs, but mm. Mission Impossible's just come out, and Barbie, Barbenheimer, or whatever we're calling it, is out next yeah. week at the time of recording, and it's like, right, so it's going to be overshadowed by other things and not make a butt ton of money, I guess. Yeah, I don't think this will drop out of cinemas as quickly as something like The Flash did, which basically makes all of its money in the opening weekend, and then that's kind of it. Like, it, an indie film is going to skew a bit older, and people might just mm. go along whenever they feel like it over the you know a few weeks of its release. And I, I think, it, I think it will. I think you'll look at the box office when it's done and think like, oh, actually, that's a fair amount if it were not for the budget. <laughs> well, the, the same exact things just happened with Elemental. Uh, the Pixar film that's also just come out. And again, mm, it's like yeah. gargantuan budget for what it is on Elemental. Um, very expensive film. And it's opened to pretty bad US box office. But my understanding is it's actually taken really solid numbers in uh, Asia. Mm. And so, you know, uh, the article going around today that people were, like, head-scratching about is that it's the the most successful Disney animated film since Frozen 2. And yeah, to be fair, like, COVID will account for a great deal of that. But mm. it, it's, it, again, it's like, yeah, it's actually, <laughs> this would be quite a successful film if the budget wasn't so high. Mm. So I think Disney need to sort the shit out. <laughs> I, th- I think it's an industry-wide thing now, isn't it? Like, these budgets have ballooned to such an extent, and, you know, we haven't had... I mean, you look at the box office of 2019, I think, like, you know, eight films in there made over a billion dollars, whereas this year, we're more than half the way into the year, there's only the Super Mario Brothers movie that's made more than a billion dollars. I'm calling it now, though, I do think Barbie might cross a billion. I've been saying for a while now. Yeah, I could see that. Somewhat yeah. controversial, but I think people are underestimating how much money that film's going to make. I think it's going to make mm. shit loads of money. Yeah, I agree. I think that's going to do well. I think Mission Impossible's going to do quite well. I think Oppenheimer will do well, relatively speaking. Um, mm. I, th- I think you know. I, th- I think this is the first year in a while that I've been like, oh, excited to go to the cinema again. Spider Verse. I I I, I assume ah, yes. Spider Verse is making a lot of money. I don't actually know if that's the case, but I. Yeah, I think it's around seven hundred million as of recording, oh, but it's uh, it's well into profit. It's you know yeah, it's yeah. doing very well. Guys, I'm gonna go see I'm gonna go see Opp- Oppenheimer at the on the biggest screen in the country. Oh, oh. I I I'd like to go and see it in a proper like IMAX screening with film. You know the film reel for that IMAX. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw a picture uh, of it. Yeah. You know, it's like eleven miles long. <laughs> God. <laughs> It's absurd. I would like to see that. I feel like it's a film that might justify it, if anything's going to justify it, but, you know, I don't live in London, so I'll probably just see it <laughs> in a normal cinema. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah I'll, I'll likely do the same, partly because it's so long as well, and, you know, uh, yeah. I might want to just go during the week where I don't have to feel bad about maybe 
leaving to, to use the loo yeah. and stepping over people if it was a busy, you know, IMAX screening. But anyway. We'll see you soon. See you soon, gentlemen. All right.